Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking about something that I think most of you out there probably have never heard of or probably won't even believe is true, but it is true. I'm going to be talking about domestic violence in prison. Yes, you heard me correctly. Domestic violence in prison. It does happen. I'm going to tell you this story about these two guys that I knew uh, years ago. This happened years and years ago. This is well over 22, 25 years ago. Uh, no, well, about 20 years ago. It was about 20 years ago. Uh, things are a lot better today, but it still does happen, but maybe not as bad as it used to be, right? But anyway, these two guys, um, they came into prison about the same time. One of them had life without parole. The other guy had 35 years at 30%. And when they became cellies, it was almost immediately that the abuse started. Uh, maybe after six or seven months, they had their first fight. But let me lay the foundation before I get to all of it about these two guys, right? The one guy was in here with life without parole. He had killed um, somebody in his family. And the other guy, he had a violent charge, but he was like, an accessory. He didn't actually do it, but he was there and he didn't call the police to turn him in or anything like that. So that's why he was, you know, nailed to the wall too. He was involved in it and he should have done something about it and he didn't. But anyway, they came in, they became cellies and they did almost everything together, right? Um, they ate together, they went to chow together, they worked out together, lifting weights, they played basketball together, softball together. And of course, like I said, they lived together. The only time they were really separated from each other is when they were at work. One of them worked in the chow hall, the other guy worked uh, on the yard crew, mowing the yards and stuff like that, right? That was the only time that they were not around each other. Um, they spent almost every day with each other. A lot of people thought that they were gay, and that's a misconception in here where people get to be really, really cool in here. Most people think that they're having sex with each other. That's not true. Uh, but these guys, I'm, I'm going to describe them to you as far as height and weight because I want you to understand that it doesn't matter about the size. Both of these guys were six foot and better, 200 pounds and better, and couldn't handle themselves. Uh, one of them had been in the military. The other guy played um, high school football. Totally able and willing, you know what I'm saying, at the drop of a dime to take care of the business, both of them. It was just that the guy that had the life without parole was just a miserable, grouchy person all the time. He never had a kind word to say to anybody. Uh, he was just miserable and mean. The other guy, he was more sociable, but he didn't really engage other people as much as uh, you could tell he wanted to because he was always around dudes, right? And he was like, and I'll holler at you later, stuff like that, pushing on. But he was the type of person that wanted to engage people, but he didn't. So anyway, like I said, as time goes on, after about six months in the cell together, um, they had a fight. I'm talking about a knockdown, drag out fight in the pond. The officer had uh, gone to use the restroom, right? So while the officer was using the restroom, there was nobody in the pond to watch us. So they ended up getting into a fight back in the laundry room. And I'm talking about it, it was brutal. 
both of them throwing haymakers, beating each other up. You know what I'm saying? But again, the guy that had the line without the role, he got the better of him. And when he was down, when he went down, he stomped him. Stomped him. And while he was stomping him, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you made me do this. That's what he told him. You made me do this. Now, every domestic violence commercial that I've seen or public service announcement, every show that I've seen that depicts uh, how domestic violence happens, every uh, piece of literature that I've read that talks about domestic violence, they speak about that, how the perpetrator, the abuser, blames the victim for the violence that they are uh, putting them through. And that's what he did. Now, keep in mind, we didn't know what that was. We just thought it was two settlers having a disagreement, and they had to get it out, fight, draw boundaries. But we didn't know. Well, they get back into the cell, get cleaned up and all this and that. Now, this happened on the weekend, so they didn't have to go to work until Monday. So when Monday came, the bruises were bad. You know what I'm saying? You can see he had clearly a black eye. Uh, his mouth was still slightly swollen. And the other guy was banged up too, but they went back to work. Nobody said a thing. They were asked, but they said, like we always doing here, I fell in the shower or this, that. Just give them some excuse or explanation for what happened, even though it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And they'll say, okay, let's keep it moving. Right? So this happened periodically for years. They would get into fights and he would beat him up. So one day, a friend of mine was talking to the guy. We're going to call him Dan. It's not his real name. I'm letting you know that. But a friend of mine was talking to Dan, and he told him, he said, he asked me, he said, why do you stay in the cell with dude, man? And he was like, where am I going to go? And he said, I'm not going to run, but at the end of the day, a fight's a fight. And he was like, man, no, this is more than a fight. This is something else. And my friend did ask him, I mean, y'all fucking? And he was like, no, nah, it ain't nothing like that, man. It ain't nothing like that at all. But he couldn't understand why dude wouldn't leave. He just could not understand that. I couldn't either, and everybody else couldn't either. But the more he pushed dude, because they became cool, and every now and then they would talk at work, right? That's the only time he really talked to anybody, when he was at work away from dude. And he was like, man, I just don't want... Uh, to go to another prison. I don't want to go to PC. You know what I'm saying? It's just a fight. I can deal with it. You know what I mean? But over and over, it kept happening. So anyway, after years, I think his first time he was getting ready to go for parole, after years and years of this abuse, uh, he was getting ready to go for parole. And he had a chance to go home and be away, get away from all of this crap. Being in prison, being around dudes, and all this and that, right? So, the two days before he was ready to go for parole, they shake the cell down. They find a pocket knife stuck in his mattress. In his mattress, right? Now, let me explain something to you about when they find contraband. And that's what they call anybody, Anything in the cell that doesn't belong in the cell is contraband. Now, it may have different degrees of severity, right? A pocket knife is class A. You know what I'm saying? That's the most severe type of write-up you can get in here. But if they find something in the cell, and it's in a common area, right? Uh, and the common area is not an area that's assigned to you. 
it's just a part of the set. Like the sink is a common area. It's not assigned to the person in bunk A or bunk B. The toilet is a common area. You know what I mean? Uh, the floor uh, between the bunk and the shelves is a common area. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anything that's found in a common area, both people in the cell, unless somebody accepts responsibility for the contraband, get a write-up. If it's found in the property of the individual that is assigned to this particular area, like the shelf or the bunk, or in your clothing, or in your commissary, or something like that, you get that right up, not the other person, right? So, this guy had gone 10 plus years, no write up, no nothing. No trouble at all. The model um, inmate, as they call it. But two days before he gets to go for parole, he gets caught with a butcher. Well, you know what happened. He goes to the depot. He tries to put the write-up off until after his uh, parole hearing. Right? And they do. They put it off, but it's still in the computer. So when he gets to the depot, I mean, excuse me, when he gets to the parole board, he's having to explain to them, because they ask, because they see everything. He had to explain that he doesn't know how that pocket knife got there. And, of course, they don't believe him. Why? Because he's in here for a violent charge. Plus, you know, they're not going to believe us when <laughs> situations like that go down most of the time, unless somebody that works in the prison comes in there and says, look, we, we're, we're investigating this. We're not sure what's going on. But we don't believe something, something, something has had anything to do with this. Well, none of that happened. So he had to wear that. Even though he hadn't been found guilty of anything, the parole board said, well, we're going to uh, put you off for a year. Right? And you come back to us in a year without any write-ups, we'll, we'll see what's going on. Well, when he went downtown, the full board came back, parole denied. He ended up subsequently getting found guilty for uh, having a pocket knife in his cell. Everybody on the compound knew that his cellmate had put that knife there. Now, the question is, why? Why would he do that? Why would anybody sabotage another person getting an opportunity to go home? Why would he do that? Because this dude was miserable, y'all. He did not want to be alone. This man had life without parole. And he had no chance. He had fought it on appeal and lost. He would die in prison unless something miraculous happened. His fate was sealed. And I think that he didn't want to be alone. So, the year starts for Dan. He's doing everything he can to stay out of trouble. But his cellmate sees that uh, yeah, it's a way that I can control him again, even more. So he would always threaten him, tell him, you're not leaving, you're not going home until I say you're going home. And again, people would talk to Dan and say, why are you not getting out of that cell? Or why don't you get transferred to another prison? And he just never would do it. And I never could understand that. The psychological hold that this guy had on him, the psychological hold that this guy had on him was something that I had never seen before. 
Never seen before. But again, it matched up to all the PSAs and the literature and things that I've read about domestic violence to a T. To a T. This man, uh, over time, when he first got there, when he played softball and basketball, you're talking about somebody that's gifted. This dude was phenomenal on the court, phenomenal on the softball field. But over time, being around this other dude, even though dude played too, he would always do things to not make dude look like he wasn't as good as him. Like letting him have the shine. He was taking a back seat to it. And that's another reason a lot of people kept, kept saying, man, dude got to be gay. That's the go-to in here. If you're, if you're taking the back seat to anybody in here or you're trying to just stay out of the way, you don't want, you know, just do, not want any trouble, you just want to do your time, you're either weak or you're gay in here. It can't be that you just want to do your time as best you can. It has to be some old nonsense. You need to get rid of all those stigmas and stop that nonsense. If he is gay, that's his business. You know what I'm saying? But that wasn't the case. So anyway, here we go again. It's almost time to go for parole again. This time, he's shaking the cell down, paranoid, shaking the cell down, making sure ain't nothing in there, and this, 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 and that, and all this old kind of stuff, right? Well, the day he gets ready to go for parole, guess what happened? It wasn't a pocket knife this time. It was drugs. A couple of joints. But it wasn't just... Uh, in his property. It was in the common area. In the common area. Like what I described to y'all before. It was in the common area. So now. Somebody has to take responsibility for it. And you would assume. That this individual. That has life without parole. Will be the one to do it. He says this is his friend. He cares about him. Guess what he did. He went into the deep board. And said it's not mine. Right. So when his cellar go in that thing going out and he says it's not mine, guess what happens? Both people get the right of it. It's not going to hurt the dude with the life without, but it's going to hurt the one with the 35. It's, having, it's going up for parole, right? Both of them get the right of it. Again, parole board put him off because they told him to come back without a right of it. That night, that afternoon, oh man, you're talking about a fight. They fought, it was like two giants hitting each other, beating each other, right? And the dude that had the uh, life without parole, again, he gets the better of him. He gets the better of his cellmate, knocks him down, and stomps him. Stomps him. But this time, you had people jumping in and breaking it up. Said, nah, you ain't going to keep doing them like that. You don't keep doing it like that. So now he wants to fight the crowd. All right, then. <laughs> we on that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he backs down real quick. They end up going in the cell. First of all, they took showers and all. The officer got involved because a lot of people at the pond got involved. But we shut it down real quick because we didn't want the captain coming in there and all that old kind of stuff, right? So the officer was like, look. The officer said, if there's any more problems, I'm calling the cabinet in here and we're going to lock some people down. So we killed all that. So after they got out of the shower, they went in the cell. Nothing. Not a thing. 
So guess what happened after that? Didn't nobody know. But Dan, he ends up taking some pills and he tries to OD. He attempts to OD. But they get him out of there because he's silly beating on the door. Help, 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 help. He done took some. He done took some. And he's up there drowsy, nodding. So they get him, get him out of there, get him to the clinic, uh, get him to the hospital. They pump his stomach, bring him back. They're asking him what is going on. Why is he acting like this? What is going on? Why are you acting out? He wouldn't say a word. He wouldn't say a word. His cell is acting like he's so concerned and running to the clinic and all of this. Because they kept him up for like four days after they brought him back. Uh, well, they kept him in the hole four days after they brought him back from the hospital. But he was under like suicide watch and stuff like that. And uh, his cell is checking on him every day, every day, trying to make sure that he's okay. Well, they let him out of the hole. His cellar had talked to the unit managers and all this. And I'm going to watch him. I'm going to make sure he don't do this and that no more, right? Now, they're suspicious of him because they've heard, uh, you know, about the fighting and stuff like that, right? But they didn't do anything. They put him back in the cell with him. And now, everything's good for a while, a long while, actually. I mean, they would get to arguing, but they didn't go to blows. They didn't go to blows. Now, something happened with his court case. And he ended up getting a lot of his time cut off, right? Which was a good thing because that meant that he'd be able to go home sooner, right? So check this out, y'all. After his time got cut through the courts, and nobody even knew that his uh, lawyer was still working on the case. So now he gets a chance to go home. Now, his cell is freaking out. Because he knows that ain't nothing he can do now to stop him from going home. He is freaking out. And he kept telling him, you're not leaving me. You're not leaving me. All that old kind of stuff. And, and so he was telling him, he said, look, man, I got you, man. I'm your friend. I know we done had our ups and downs, this and that. But when I get out, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of, man. I'm going to look out for you, man. We're going to be friends forever. Blah, 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 blah. Dude did not want to hear none of that. So guess what he did to him, y'all? Guess what he did? The day of his release, the day of his release, his family is in the parking lot waiting to pick him up. The day of his release, he hits him in the abdomen with a butcher, rips it across his stomach. His guts fall out. Right there in the front of the door, you know what I'm saying, of the building, and he hits the ground. Boom. Guts fall out. Dude with life without parole standing over him, talking about, I told you you weren't going to leave me. Crying. Crying. I told you you weren't going to leave me. Now, the officers down there trying to, you know, hold his guts in one officer, then the other officer trying to calm him down, and, and all he kept saying is, Don't let me die. Don't let me die. Don't let me die. Don't let me die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And he's worrying about, his mama because he knows that she's there to pick him up. He had just got off the phone with her uh, maybe an hour before that. He knew they were there. But now he was laying on the ground, guts hanging out, bleeding, dying. A few minutes later, he was gone. They locked the unit down 
and we heard that um, they had to go out there to the parking lot and tell his family that he had just been killed. He had just been killed. Wasn't going home. Ever. Ever. Yeah, they charged this cellar with, you know what I'm saying, murder. They, and all this. This man already had life without parole. With no prospects of getting out. But this young man was dead. And that's real in here. He didn't deserve that. No matter what you might think was going on in that cell. But that's something that a lot of people don't talk about in here. Domestic violence in here is real. And it happens for the most, it's just the craziest reason. This wasn't sexual. This was loneliness. This was misery. This was despair. And he took it out on somebody else. Just wanted to drop that on y'all. Give you something else to think about when you're out there running up and down the streets thinking that you're living a lifestyle that's cool. Or if you know somebody in your family or a friend, somebody you care about that's running up and down the street. You know? Tell them about this. Share this with them. Let them know that you never know what's going to happen in here. You never know. So it's best that you live a life the way you don't have to come in here. Remember that, y'all. This has been another episode of Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, and I say peace, y'all.